All right, well, guys, we are back in 1 Corinthians. So if you want to turn to chapter 9 in 1 Corinthians. If you are new to Sunday morning gatherings with us, uh, our normal routine is to study through sections of the Bible. We'll study entire books together uh, for a number of reasons. We just feel like the way in which the Lord's given his word is critical for us to not just hang out in maybe our favorite topics or popular topics that speakers may have an appetite for, but to go wherever the word of God takes us into categories that God has said is important. And so we will study just chapter by chapter through a book, and we've been doing that in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is a very interesting, very helpful book to be aware of. Um, you know, when, when we go on scene here, I mean, it's almost like you're, you're a little bit of, of reality TV show meets documentary is what we're doing. When you're reading the Corinthians, this is Paul's engagement with a real life setting with real characters and real storylines and real issues. Very helpful for us because what you have here is you have a real local church setting. So it's familiar to what we're doing. It's a gathering of believers who are doing life together they're in a setting where there's, there's a plural society of people being gathered there. Remember, this setting creates an opportunity for a church to contain Romans and Greeks and Jews who would have all had very different backgrounds coming together. And so suddenly these folks have gotten saved just in the last few years. And they're, they're learning how to do relationships. You know, they've got a lot of different ideas about life, about each other about how to do things, right? So when we come into our setting and we've got black and white and Hispanic and Republican and Democrat and old and young, there's a diversity that comes in the room here with us that we've got some things to learn from the Corinthians as we stare at them. But one of the other things that's here, and this is going to really be appreciated when we get a little farther into the book, is that this is not the day after Pentecost, two days after the resurrection, you're about 20 years after Pentecost and the resurrection. So what's settling into the church world is somewhat some normal stuff, just normal life. And that's going to be important as we venture into the book and we peer in on what's, what looks like it's normal for local churches to be doing. Well, coming up, we're going to get to, to spiritual gifts in a couple of chapters. And we're going to see the normalcy of spiritual gifts in settings like local churches. And hopefully that will awaken us to what should be normal among us as we're doing church together. But one of the things we kept finding as we've been studying through Corinthians is Paul is teaching on certain things. But part of what's generating the topics for Paul are the problems that the Corinthians are having doing life. I mean, you guys know that if you want to be a part of being in relationship with any other human being, there's going to be problems. You figured that out yet? Whether that's family and marriage, whether it's church, you know, these are in settings that we have the best of intentions, but they're also the settings where we, sometimes we have the biggest of problems. And, you know, just help you face reality here, that's inescapable. It was, it was not escapable for these guys. Led by the Apostle Paul, church planted by him. His influence was there. And yet they, you know, we've, we've had one chapter after another of dysfunction after dysfunction after dysfunction, haven't we? Does it just make sense that God is in the midst of a people who are dysfunctional? 
So, you know, adjust your expectations. I'm glad everybody's a part of this church. Glad that we get a chance to fellowship together and we're walking together and that means something. But, but if you've come here expecting uh, everything to be safe, everything to be comfortable, and everybody to do the right thing, then you are definitely in the wrong place. <laughs> uh, that was not the story for the Corinthians and it's not our story either. They had problems. Their problems, matter of fact, their problems are going to give us the topic of the spiritual uh, gifts in a couple of chapters. We're going to learn more from the Corinthians about spiritual gifts than we learn from any other church in the New Testament. But the whole reason that topic comes up is because of their problems. Today we're going to learn about giving, finances and giving in the New Testament. But part of the reason why we're going to learn it is because they're having a problem in this category. So problems are part of local church settings if we're honest about these places. So let me just give you an awareness as we're going to read through this section here. Let me tell you why I'm going after the angle that's here. The, the subject of giving is going to come up in this setting. Not because Paul is just saying, hey, I think I'd like to teach on giving today. No, it's coming up because he's being attacked about the way in which he interacts with the, this local church financially. And there's a group there that's hostile to Paul. They want to undermine his apostleship. They don't want to go with what he's saying. They challenge what he's saying. They look for anything they can find to rise up against the ministry that God's given him in this church. So Paul is going to do something here. He's going to establish an argument about what's normal in the category of giving. And then he's going to turn around and say, and I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do something different. But I want you to catch this. He's going to describe what's normal in the New Testament church, what's common in the category of giving in the New Testament church. And Paul does this throughout the New Testament. So I want us to catch this argument because when Paul turns around and says, but I'm not going to do that with the Corinthians, if you don't get the weight of this, you don't get this either. So I want to put all the weight this morning on this because it's a helpful, insightful moment for us to see what's common And what's normal in the category of giving of finances as we kind of visit the New Testament. So let's read beginning in verse 1 of chapter 9. The Apostle Paul, again, he's making an argument here. Last week we looked at his, he asked 16 questions and then made a powerful statement. We're going to go back through some of that. He says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the the law say the same? It's written in the law of Moses. You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. This is for oxen that God is concerned Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake. Because the plowman should plow in hope. And the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we've sown spiritual things among you, is it too much? 
If we reap material things from you, if others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service, they get their food from the temple. Those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Well, Father, thank you again for chosen words. Holy Spirit-given words that travel into our lives, speaking life to us in categories that matter. Lord, our giving matters because money matters to us in huge ways. So Lord, would you help us? Lord, give us ears to hear the things that you want us to hear. Uh, Maybe not the things that we want to hear, but what you want us to hear. We want to receive that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. N.T. Wright commenting, on Paul's presentation here says Cephas or Peter and the rest, including the actual brothers of Jesus himself, have set a standard of how apostles should live and work. The task of announcing the good news with all the hardships and dangers it brought was to be seen as an occupation deserving of support. Those who became Christians were to fund the continuing work of the apostles, their food and drink, family needs. He wants to make it quite clear, not for his own benefit, but for all Christian workers thereafter, that announcing the good news of Jesus is an activity that deserves the material support of those who benefit from it. That's normal. And as you're going to see the language of Paul speaking to other churches, that's normal. The apostle Paul knows nothing of apologizing For the fact that he is associating gospel proclamation with money being received by him. He knows nothing of apologizing for that. The situation in Corinth is unique. It's not the rule, it's the exception to the normal practice. There was was a problem in Corinth that was so severe that Paul chose, I'm going to break with what's normal. And I'm not going to do that in Corinth. You remember, I mentioned some of this last week. We've, we've learned traveling with the Corinthians through their story that they've got some division issues. They've got some loyalty issues. They've got people who are prone to gathering around influential people. And that's not foreign to this day. As a matter of fact, that's common to this day. That's, that's what your Roman and Greek patronage system created. It created a setting... You know, it's sort of like uh, legalized mafia. You know, who's the godfather? And everybody underneath the godfather, a part of the godfather's network, gets some benefit from knowing him. You know, they got some connections. They're going to be able to do business with these people. He's going to connect. I'm going to take care of you. Well, the patron had that sort of influence in this day. So it was not unusual that if you got connected with the right people in Corinth, well, that paved the way to open doors for you. Well, Paul recognized that. And it was a problem in the Corinthian church. That there were people who were loyal to to this leader, that leader, that patron, that influential person in that local setting. Craig Blomberg 
points this out when he says the powerful patrons in the Corinthian church, doubtless, would have preferred to have Paul accept their money, but give them deference and political support in return. When he refused and continued to rely on tent making instead, they charged that his unwillingness to go along with their patronage demonstrated that he did not have the same authority as other itinerant apostles or preachers. In other words, all the other preachers who came to town received money from them. Now, before you treat that like it's corrupt, Paul did that everywhere else. But when he gets to Corinth, he says, I'm not going to do that among you guys because you're so divisive that if I show up in town and I stay with Mr. So-and-so and he funds my expedition here and he pays me influentially, he's going to want me to put him in a certain light in front of you. He's going to want me to further his interest in a certain way. And, and I'm going to be caught in, a, in the threat of compromising what I feel led to say, at, perhaps at the expense of this guy. So I would rather not put an obstacle in the way of the gospel. I, I'm, I'm not going to be bought by anybody. So I'm not going to receive any money from you guys. All right, but this is the exception and not the rule. Right, when some f- folks come to the Corinthian letter and pick this up, ignore a lot of stuff that's here right they ignore the fact that this is an exception and not a rule and i'm almost like well why doesn't every christian do this why doesn't every pastor do this why doesn't every church do this well you're going to see today paul didn't do it in other places so it'd be inconsistent to say that's the new testament teaching it'd also be inconsistent to impose 21st century issues on a first century setting right 21st century issues are money is an issue in the religious world right because we have things like televangelists and people who go on TV and, and, and sort of make this big life name for themselves and then create these offerings. And it just kind of creates this view that why are people giving so much money to make that guy even stinking richer than he already is? And so there's this, there's this corruption thing. And so we, we pick this up and we think, hey, that's a stumbling block for the gospel. And we bring that with us to Corinthians and say, hey, that's, that's what Paul's talking about right there. That's not what Paul's talking about right here. There's a different situation that's happening here in the church in the first century. Paul commonizes the idea that, no, 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 the worker should get his wage from the work. And, and God has ordained that those who proclaim the gospel should make their living by the gospel. And so that was co- Paul's common practice, was that the ministry that he had been given to further the gospel into the world was a ministry that was going to be financed by the giving of those who were hearing the things that he was presenting to them. That is common. So here's what I want to do. I want to bring two main insights from Paul's practice Paul is highlighting the normalcy of this practice. I want to take you into the New Testament in a couple of places. All of this is going to be Paul's uh, interaction and writings that do this. But there's some things to be learned here. These are, I'm calling this insights from Paul on giving of their money. And I want you to notice at least two things critically. One, giving, when Paul talks about it, is going to be associated with sowing and reaping. So if you don't know anything about that, you're immediately behind the eight ball here. So there is a sowing, a giving, an investing, a planting, and there's a reaping dimension that Paul's going to use more than once. 
So when it comes to talking about us giving money as believers, there's a sowing and reaping dimension that he furthers. Secondly, uh, spiritual things and material things are connected to each other in his conversation. He doesn't have this, you, you know, you're really, really healthy, doing great spiritually, but this material thing is separate from that. Now, Paul brings them together and says they're related. They're related. As a matter of fact, what you do in one category influences the other category and vice versa. What you do in the spirit influences your material activity. What you do materially influences you spiritually. So Paul knows no separation here in his conversation. So let me, first point here, one, life's Spiritual benefits are connected to one's material investment. I read that again. Life's spiritual benefits are connected to one's material investment. Let Let me qualify that carefully. They are connected. They are not determinative of one's experience and benefit. So in other words, if you come up with enough money, you guarantee a certain spiritual outcome. No, it doesn't work that way, in spite of the fact that prosperity teachers tend to keep teaching that. Um, You can give and give and give and still die of cancer, still have life go the wrong way. And, by the way, because this is how the grace of God works, you cannot do all kinds of things that you should have been doing and have God show up in your life and abundantly bless you for reasons you can't figure out. So so let me just take an argument away from myself here that I would be tempted to use. If you never give, I cannot guarantee you that God still won't show up in your life and bless the socks off of you. There's lots of guys in the Old Testament who did horrific things that God turned around, post-horrific things, and blessed them obnoxiously. God retains the right. And by the way, if, if this is not the way God is, once Eden happened, we were all done, right? If God doesn't retain the right to show up in the lives of dysfunctional, selfish, disobedient people and yet bless them anyway, then ever since Eden, we're, we're all in a mess, right? So the history of God dealing with humanity is nobody is doing it all right. And that's why this is not a determinative word. It's not even a controlling word. But it is a biblical concept. So if you're interested in the Bible this morning, not working the system, and not being some kind of a a slacker who's looking to have, be a, well, I just want to know what's the least I can do and still be called a Christian. All right, look, if you're looking for that, you are in the wrong church. All right, so that's not where I'm going this morning. But there is an association, so listen for it, so that you can recognize in your life, spiritual things and material things are connected, right? 1 Corinthians 9, Paul just said this in verse 11. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you, right? So hold on to several things in that sentence. If we, there's an identifiable group of sowers in all these passages. And Paul's part of that group. And he doesn't apologize for being part of that group. So I don't feel any awkwardness this morning. Because I'm, I'm a feature person in this exchange. Right? I'm a sower and I'm a reaper. And Paul doesn't apologize for it. And I'm not going to apologize for it either. It's just the facts of the kingdom of God. So Paul stands and says, if we have 
sown spiritual things. That's what he's doing. That's what we're doing this morning. We're sowing spiritual things. Is it too much if we reap material things from you? And then he legitimizes this. If others share this rightful claim, this is a rightful claim, Paul, really, on you, do we not even more? Nevertheless, we've not made use of this right. We endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Right? That nevertheless is meaningless without the weight on the other side. This is the way it's supposed to be. But we're not going to do that. That draws your attention to this. And wow, what was the situation there that Paul was adjusting that? But notice, if we sow spiritual things, there is a reaping of material things that's connected to that. And that's not the only place. Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. So again, you've got a sower who's going to receive something from those in which he is sowing the word of God. Now listen, this is the activity that draws the giving, right? Make sure you notice this, because I'm going to come back later. It's not other activity. There is other activity that people will give to. But what Paul is normalizing in the day of the New Testament is that sowing the word of God was to be a moment where reaping of financial response was part of that equation. And then he adds something here in this context that is going to be sobering for us. Couldn't avoid spending some time in this in just a moment. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Right? So here... Paul is bringing, again, into the conversation of giving and receiving, sowing and reaping. So he keeps using this illustration that giving is connected to a sowing and reaping principle. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. God is not mocked. God says that's the case. Guess what? That will be the case. No one will get to the end of the course that they run in their life and say, oh, fuck, God said if I sowed to the flesh, I'd read corruption. Look at me. Uh, Your day is coming when you will reverse that and you'll say, oops, God is not mocked. God is right. And those who sown to the spirit will also stand one day and say, God is right. I've reaped where I have sown. Now listen, into this sowing and reaping, into this giving, into this equation of life here, he highlights something. Those who are taught the word are to share with those who teach the word. So I don't know how your you know, daily life checklist, maybe monthly is a better, monthly life checklist, right? If you're a person who does any kind of budget, you plan anything at all. You got your categories that you check off. You know, you got your, you got your mortgage payment, utilities, House payment, groceries, preacher. Oh, I'm sorry, you don't have that one? Preacher. Right? Cox Cable. I'm not sure where preacher should go in the order. But, but that, isn't it kind of weird to think that way? That as a normal dimension of our lives, that that should be a category that exists for us. Those who are taught spiritual things should share with those who do the teaching 
Right? So this is common. Paul's just saying this all over the place. Look, he's going to pick this principle up in a unique way in Romans 15, verse 25. He says, at present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. Now, this is not a preaching of the word. This is a human suffering moment. This is a famine issue in Jerusalem. For the Macedonian and Achaian, and that would be the Philippians in the north, and the Corinthians in the south, that's Macedonia and Achaia, have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. Wait, stop. Don't even read any further. They owe it to them? The Gentiles in Macedonia and Achaia owe it to the people in Jerusalem? Why would you say that, Paul? Well, for if the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessing. Do you get this? Right? The gospel first comes to the Jews and to the Jews in Jerusalem. They get saved by this rich, wonderful deposit of the living word of God. And they are compelled by it. And they send missionaries. And they send the gospel. And it reaches all the way to Macedonia and Achaia. And these spiritual benefits come to these people's lives. And Paul says, only makes sense if you benefited spiritually that you would give something materially. You see, Paul connects this. This isn't some televangelist connecting this. This is Paul connecting this. And those guys way over in Greece, way over in uh, Macedonia and Achaia, they owe these guys. It only seems right that when they have a need... You guys would show up in it. They never gained them a dollar. The Jews in Jerusalem didn't send any money to them. They sent them truth. They sent them God's word. They received spiritual benefits in life. Listen, I don't know how you put a value on this. This is not to flatter any preaching. But preaching is a function of the word of God. It is a presentation of the word of God. So it's got no power. This is not a TED talk. This is not a podcast. It's it's a presentation of the word of God. So it's living and abiding seed that transforms us. So it leaps inside of us. So something's going to happen to you today. If you're at all open to the spirit of God, I could be a moron up here, barely can speak English. And I'm not too far removed from that, by the way. But if the word of God is living and active in what we're sharing today, that it's traveling into you and spiritual things are being deposited in you, that you're going to begin to reap in everyday spaces of your life. I hope, I hope, this is a grief not to to think that this may be happening. I hope that what you experience of the word of God here travels with you beyond this room. That your relationships with other human beings are touched by what you're going to hear today. That when you go to do your marriage, when you go to speak to other people, when you go to have values in life, when you treat people a certain way, everybody in your life is reaping something from the impact of spiritual things that have come into your life. Listen, my life is a different life because of God's word having been taught to me. 
It's challenged things in me. It's changed my mind about things in me. It's changed practices in me. It's convicted me. It's crushed me when I needed to be crushed. It's lifted me and encouraged me. It's given me faith to do things I never would have done. When you leave here today, that's the spiritual thing that's going to start getting reaped all over your life. Everybody's going to start reaping from that. Paul turns around and says, hey, what about me? I'm the guy who sowed that in you. Is it a problem for me to reap anything materially from you? So Paul's defense is that these things are connected. They go together. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Another section there. We won't get into it. But Paul talks extensively to these Corinthians again about giving there. In verse 6 he says, The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully each one must give as he has decided in his heart see sowing and reaping are connected by paul to giving right so when he brings up sowing and reaping yeah you could apply that to a bunch of things but paul immediately applies it to giving each one must give what are you talking about giving well it's sowing and reaping so if you give sparingly you're going to reap back sparingly if you give bountifully you're, you're going to reap back bountifully now this is true in all kinds of ways that we give not just money but this passage is about money so so don't make the bible say what you'd like for it to say well i i give of my time and i'm very kind and encouraging of others i give a lot of encouragement well good you should you're a christian but this is not a passage about that this is a passage about giving money And it's actually a passage about giving money to the Jews who are going hungry in Jerusalem. And Paul is bragging on these guys in Achaia and Macedonia that they're going to come to your rescue. They've already promised they can't wait to help out. Paul walks away from telling those Jews that. He's like, I hope these guys come through. (laughs) And you know what he does? He sends messengers ahead of him. To remind them, soften things up, go in and tell them they promised, they promised they would help. They promised big they would help. I don't need them reneging now. Go ahead of me and make sure they remember that they said God loves a cheerful giver. Right? That's where all this comes from. These are, I know sometimes we hear God loves a cheerful giver. You just grab that out of midair. It's got a connection. It's Paul collecting. You promise and I'm coming to collect. That's the context of this statement right here. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or in a compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times. You may abound in every good work. What is Paul talking about here? What's the good work he's talking about? They're giving. They're going to give to alleviate suffering in believers' lives in Jerusalem. And he says, oh, by the way, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you can give. How many of you have ever been in a place in your life when you just say, oh, I just can't give. I just, I just can't. I mean, I, I, know, I know it's in the Bible. I just... I just can't. Read carefully what these verses are saying. God says he makes all grace abound to you so that you can. Now, I'm not saying it's simple. 
I know that's complicated. I know we live in America. We've got a gazillion things pulling at us financially in every direction. So we can explain why it is that we can't from a personal viewpoint, but you can't explain why you can't biblically. Because the Bible just flat turns around and says, oh, you can. Matter of fact, God has made grace available to you so that you could give up. By the way, what did you do with that grace? Because if you didn't give it to what God called you to give it to, you spent it on something else. So what are you using God's gracious provision for that he meant it to be used somewhere else? Right? This, this is what a giving conversation sounds like in the New Testament. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So God says, hey, I want you to abound in giving. I'm gonna, I tell you what, I'm going to help you. with This is kind of like your kids. All right, I'm, I'm still, even at the age that my kids are now, still have this issue. I want my kids to be able to give to each other, right? So Christmas rolls around. There's a lot of them. They can't afford all kinds of giving. So I just kind of jump into that. I want to get this for so-and-so, but I can't afford it. Well, I want to empower them to be able to give. So I'm forking over all kinds of money to help with that. It's like, well, I'll, I'll pay for half of that. Right? Yeah, you want to get, well, I'll, I'll pay for half of that. Well, this, this is what God's doing. Hey, you want to give? I'm going to supply. Yeah, I'm going to give you so you can give. Right? Yeah, I know. Yeah, you can't, but I can here. I'm going to give this so you can give. Now, what happens when it gets in our pocket and it doesn't get given? Right? I haven't had my kids do that to me as far as I know. <laughs> you said you were getting them this. <laughs> That's cheap. What'd you get that for? Uh, <coughs> And here's what's interesting, right? This is a sowing and reaping thing. Paul keeps bringing up for Paul, it makes sense that sowing and reaping and giving and receiving are related. So your giving is a part of what you're going to be reaping. So there there is both a sowing of spiritual things, but there's also a giving of things that brings a reaping. And he says this, God's going to supply for you to be able to give so that there can be an increase in the harvest of your righteousness. Did you know that your giving is related to your future harvest of righteousness in your life? Have you ever thought that way? There are things that God is going to be doing. There is righteousness that's going to come into your world that is associated with your giving. Your act of giving materially is somehow interacting with God's purposes to bring righteousness into your life. That's what Paul says right here. So clearly, Paul's depiction is that there is a connection between spiritual things and material things. Now, I wrote this whole paragraph out because I want to make sure and capture it carefully in your outline. Obviously, this is much more than dollar bills. Although it is not less than that. It is the impact of God's transforming word that gives people the faith, the willingness, and the longing to further what has benefited them. Spiritual things have come to me. They have lit my life up. They have changed everything about my world. I have a hope that I just didn't have. 
It awakens something in me that I want to see that further. Can everybody have what I have? Can everybody catch that? Can every person I know, everybody in this church, everybody not in this church, can they get some of this? And can I help? That's what's being described here. Right, the commodity exchange is the word is sown and finances are reaped. But God is after our worship, our affection, our transferring our hope to him and to the kingdom of God coming upon the earth. Therefore, if I have benefited by the spiritual content that's been sown in my life, why wouldn't I want to see that furthered to other people's lives and to the end of the earth? If, if this has overwhelmed me and good news has come to me, that really means something to me. Why would I resist, be stingy, be hesitant to further that in somebody else's life? That's what this is about. That's the kind of giving that is being described here. Now, now do notice something in these passages. What Paul has made common is the connection between sowing God's word and reaping finances. That's what's common. It's common in every setting that Paul was in, except the Corinthians. And maybe there's some others. Maybe Paul found other exceptions that he had to say, you know, not with these guys. But we're going to see in just a second, he had to get those funds from somewhere else. But notice what this is not. And sometimes, I don't know, maybe this is an American thing. Maybe, maybe everybody's felt this way. It's like, you know, we, we've got some resources. We've got some money in our wallets and our, in our accounts. And, you know, we're just waiting for the church to promote something that we're interested in. That, you know, I can get behind that. So you're going you're gonna to build like a, a recovery center for, for women. Or you're, you're going to, you know, we, we have orphan people here with us. The Adamax are here. I had no idea until I looked at them and said, that's the Adamax. Wait, wait a minute, everybody. The Adamax are here, at least two of them. Uh, all right, so you might be inspired to say, well, you know, hey, we care for orphans. Hey, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll give to that. Do you understand? That's not what these passages are about. These passages are about, have you received any spiritual benefit? Then give back to it. That's what these passages are about. And Paul just teaches that like it's normal. That's just the way it is. Now, notice, give me my passages of 1 Corinthians 9. And Galatians 6 here, because these are sobering passages. They depict a correlation between what and where you sow your material finances and what you will reap spiritually in your life. There is a destination for your finances. They come into your life by God's design and they go out of your life to certain destinations. Those destinations have according to Galatians, eternal consequences attached to them. And not just about right here, right now, what works. They are connected eternally, right? God is not mocked. This is a relationship he describes between sowing and reaping that is going to come to pass. He who sows to the flesh will from the flesh reach reap corruption. He who sows to the spirit will reap eternal life. God will not be found wrong in this category. And so here's a, this is a sobering moment and I'm going to make this as weighty. And if you feel crushed by it, you can thank me later. Because this is a serious issue in a very observable category of each of our lives. But it is a very serious heart issue. 
A heart, I don't know if I wrote this out, a heart that is knit to natural things will produce a life that is devoted to natural things. And you will reap from those natural things. See, the heart that can only figure out how to give to the next natural thing, the next natural thing, the next natural thing, it can't, it can't seem to figure out how to give to the kingdom, how to further the interests of the It can't seem to figure that out because it's knit and bound to and dependent on something. You are going to reap from that practice, from the bankruptcy in one category and the overinvestment in another. You're going to reap from it. This is not the only place where that's taught, right? Matthew chapter 6. Jesus reveals money plays this really unique dimension in our lives. So he clarifies and says the same thing. It's not just about your money. It's about your heart that steers your money. That's more important, but they're related, right? Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Jesus says, Do not Lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is, God will not be mocked. If your heart is bound to things of the flesh. That's what you're going to spend everything about yourself on. Because where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. So when you look at what do I do to give to the kingdom of God, that thing is making an argument. Your statement is making an argument to you. It's trying to tell you something about where you lay up treasure. Where you sow. And as Paul just revealed... Sowing has a reaping dimension to it. So where you sow, why you sow, is going to reap in the future. And, and where you feel the need, the desperate longing for more of the flesh, more of the flesh, more of the flesh. Guess what you're going to reap in the future? More of the flesh on steroids. Listen, there's no day in which you feed the flesh and it grows big and later on it's smaller in your life. It just doesn't operate that way. You're going to reap corruption. It's going to become noisier, more influential. You think you need that a little bit right now? You wait until a few years from now. You'll have moved on from that. And you guys, you, you drug addicts, get, get this? All of us are addicts in some way, by the way. We're just going to overgive ourselves to something. And there's going to be a corruption that comes from that. You sow and sow and sow and it becomes bigger and bigger and more influential in our lives. And that's what this verse is trying to rescue us from. Be careful where your treasure is because that's where your heart's going to go and that's, by the way, where your time and your finances are going to end up as well. And isn't it interesting, the very next thing Jesus is going to talk about in chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. A discourse on anxiety. But seek first the kingdom of God. Why, why do you have to bring up anxiety? Well, because that's part of the corruption that you reap. When you sow to the flesh and sow to the flesh and sow to the flesh, your strength now is found in the flesh and your security is found in the flesh and your comfort's found in the flesh. And what if your flesh fails? Well, you're going to reap anxiety is what you're going to reap. Because you've taken every dime and you've built a world and built a world and built a world and built a world. At some point, you've got a, a hidden 
sensibility about you that knows, I built all this. It can crumble in a second. And all my hope is there. And you begin to reap fear and anxiety. See, this is a kind of corruption that this is talking about. You sow to the flesh, you will from the flesh reap corruption. Second Corinthians, Paul says something. This is sobering. These are just sobering realities. Second Corinthians 8, verse 7. Paul says, but as you excel in everything, see that you excel in this act of grace also. All right, so let me just say this. Uh, we're a room full of Christians here who excel at many things. There are many servants here. There are many gospel-sharing folks. There are many people who love their Bibles and pray. There are people who teach others and share the gospel, etc. And Paul would say, hey, all of you, all of us can hear this. You excel at many things, but see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. That it's real to you. That you do these things and they fly out of your heart because it's real to you. I say this to you to encourage you that if you don't act on these things, at some point you're going to question whether this is real. You're going to question the, gen- the genuineness of your own Christianity. That's a dangerous place to be, and you will have very little evidence to which to point. Your giving reveals your affections and where you place your value and seek your reward. This giving, sowing, and reaping is a reality. If you value the reward of a bigger house, of a lifestyle at a certain level, of travel to extravagant places, none of those things are wrong. But if you value those things to a place that prohibits you from giving, your heart is screaming a message at you. You value the flesh more than you value the things of the spirit. Listen, if you're giving and God's allowed you to to do all those things, you should not feel condemned at all by what I just said. But if your life doesn't say, oh no, I I value the kingdom, I I give to God, and I do some of those other things too. But if you're doing those things in the place of, because I can't afford to do both, you're right, often you can't. And you make a choice in that moment that says, what's going to reward me the best? Well, I don't really know that the kingdom will reward me the best. I I think that will reward me the best. Oh, so do that once and then twice. And God will not be mocked. You will feed that thing into a, a source of corruption that will own you. And at some point, you will never own a big enough house. You will never drive a nice enough car. You will never travel enough. You will never eat out enough. You will reap the corruption of a flesh that can never be satisfied. And God in his grace says, tell you what, make sure you keep my kingdom in the very forefront of why you exist. Otherwise, you got a future of reaping in this category. John Piper says, and so Paul is saying in verse 6 and 7 of Galatians 6, we honor God in his word when we take money which might have bought us some comfort or security or prestige and give it to support the ministry of the word domestically and on the frontiers. But if we are deceived and think that more happiness comes from spending that money on our 
private pleasures, then we mock God and our greed will come crashing back upon us. We will reap what we sow. This is how Paul talks about giving. This, This is not extravagant. This is just all over the New Testament. These are realities that Paul says, hey, you want to to talk about finances, you want to talk about money. This is the kind of stuff that's in this conversation. All right, point number two. Do this one quickly. The financial needs of ministry were real needs met by real giving. When Paul spoke about the ministry of the word of God, that's a real need. That is going to be met by real giving, real human beings are going to give something out of the resources of their life in order for that to happen. Again, John Piper says, those who carry the main responsibility of teaching need freedom to study and meditate and pray. Finding the meaning of biblical texts, discovering how that meaning fits with the totality of Revelation, and seeing its relationship to contemporary life, week in and week out, is a glorious calling. But it takes much time and effort. One of the things that makes me happy with my ministry at Bethlehem, who was pastor in Bethlehem Baptist Church, is that most of you know this and do not begrudge me the time I need for study. So that you'll know, in general, I devote Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday mornings to prayer and study and meditation. Then all day Friday and Saturday I prepare for the two messages on Sunday. There are inevitable interruptions for crisis situations like weddings. That's okay. I just thank God for your support and the part I have to play in this church. This, this is a normal enterprise. This is a biblical concept that there should be those who are devoted to preparing, studying, and feeding and imparting spiritual blessings. And that gets enabled by the support of the church. Right? So Paul highlighted this. I mentioned this last week. But let me just zoom into Paul's reality Paul's reality is not, this is insignificant. Giving doesn't matter. That's not Paul's reality. Giving matters. It's going to cost Paul something. It's going to be in the way of the gospel. It's going to be a pressure in his life if this doesn't get solved. Philippians 4 verse 14, Paul says to them, It was kind of you to share my trouble. I said last week that word, it means pressure and burden. You Philippians yourselves know that in in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Paul's ministry existed because there was a partnership between those that he had preached to and those who were giving to him. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs. Before that help arrived, all Paul was in touch with is, I have a need. I have a need. I'm concerned about a need. I am facing a need. I have the pressure of a need. I have the burden of having a need met. That's the reality here. That's what Paul's walking around saying, oh, I didn't even notice. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. That's that sowing and reaping thing again. Paul knew that as you give, as you give materially, you are storing up spiritual blessings and righteousness harvest in the future. I seek that for you. I've received full payment and more. He had a need, but he got, ended up getting much more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. 
And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. How many of us have grabbed that verse out of nowhere? Right? Life's on the hook. Little difficulties coming. We're going to grab Philippians chapter 4. God will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. That's a true statement and it has a context. The context is the Philippians who have sown into the kingdom of God will have their needs met by this God. You might not want to miss that first part, right? Might be part of that phrase. 2 Corinthians 11.7. Paul later on tells the Corinthians, you know, the ones that he made this exception to, I'm not charging you guys. I'm not going to receive any money from you. Later on he says, did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preach God's gospel to you free of charge? Don't you love that phrase, free of charge? That's pretty upfront, huh? I mean, I don't know. I don't think Paul Ryan's like, uh, when do you want me? I'll be a thousand bucks. I mean, I, I, that's definitely not Paul. But he uses a phrase that's so weighty. Shocked by that? That's the exception. Where Paul went place to place, he received offerings. And this is what he says to them. I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. Now, Paul did two things in order to serve these Corinthians. He went out and got a job, which took him away from some of his work because he was not going to create an obstacle between him and them by depending upon them and getting around the wrong guy who's supplying the funds in Corinth. But that's not all he did. He says, I robbed other churches. I explained to other churches that I've got a situation over here that, hey, look, you guys are great about supporting the ministry, but I've got a situation over here. I need to come back to you guys and I need to ask for more because I'm not going to ask them for anything because there's problems going on right here. That's partnership. That's a reality that somebody outside of Corinth was footing the bill for the care of sowing the word to the Corinthians. When I was with you, And was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. Well, he's not going to burden them, but guess who he is going to burden? Don't overlook this. Don't act like, oh, money just came out of nowhere. Oh, no, no. It came from people who had already given to him. And they gave again. Paul just transferred this need. It was a real need. He didn't ignore the need. It was a real need that somebody's going to have to stay. You know, it's not going to be the Corinthians, so it's going to have to be these guys over here. That's how he responded. Trouble, burden, need. John Piper goes on and says, you recall that in verse 2, Galatians 6, he had said, bear one another's burdens. Verse 6 seems to give another example of burden bearing, namely the financial burden of Christian teachers. Let him who has taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. One way to bear the burdens of those who carry major responsibilities of teaching in the church is to support them financially so that they can be free for prayer and study. Evidently, there was some problem with this in Galatia. Perhaps they had made a good start and now they were growing weary in well-doing. The well-doing of supporting the teaching elders in the church. Perhaps some were arguing that they, they are free in Christ and can use their money for other things. Who needs teaching anyway? 
We know enough of the truth. Money's scarce. These are hard times. We don't know what they were saying, but we do know that all the burdens Paul could have mentioned, he chose to mention the material burden of those who teach God's word. And he does it unapologetically. Bear one another's burdens. But let me just highlight this one. Make sure you are taking up the burden of the word of God being ministered and the needs that are present as that happens. Listen, neither Paul nor the New Testament was anticipating pennies from heaven in this moment. When I read the Bible, I, I am directed to put all my trust and all my hope in God. He is my source. He will meet my needs. But did you notice Paul doesn't take that reality and turn around and say, hey, listen, don't anybody worry about giving anything. There'll be pennies from heaven. God is my source. He will meet my need. You know, God uses means. Plants don't just grow. The rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. Stuff happens that bring things about. God is meeting needs, but he is meeting needs through a means. And that means was people in these settings. So these these aren't detached concepts. One more recognition from this passage and we'll pray. Eric, you can come back. There are going to be settings where the word of God is going to be sown by those called to sow it. That what shouldn't happen in some of those unique settings is any kind of financial reaping taking place. There are going to be those settings. Corinthians teaches us that. That it is right for leaders at some points to discern this is not a money issue and don't make it a money issue. Just preach. Just share the gospel. Teach God's word. Uh, You guys will hear us talk about Alpha. Alpha is that way for us. We don't ever ask anybody who attends Alpha for any kind of money. Money is not an issue for that audience, but it is an issue for you. Right? It'd be appropriate for me or Frank to stand in that meeting and saying, we robbed Lakeview Christian Center so that you guys could be here tonight and eat for free and hear the gospel. That is what's going on. And, and it's right that we are aware that we are participating in the furtherance of the gospel. That, that it is right for us to bear the burden of that ministry. That's right to do. Next week, we have a great opportunity. Uh, you guys remember last year about this time, Joel Bain from Jamaica was with us, sharing at that point plans for the church plant that began after he went back to Jamaica. And they're less than a year into the church plant. Joel's going to be back with us next Sunday to give us an update and share with us what's going on there. Uh, he is biblically having to rob other churches in order to plant a church in Jamaica. Church plants involve robbery. <laughs> I don't know if that's a qualification for church planters. Are you capable of being a thief? Uh, do you feel called to steal? Uh, but that's what he's doing there. He's breaking ground with people. He's creating relationships. He's sharing the gospel and teaching. But he's doing so with a very large financial need that those people can't bear. So it's not as though he's there thinking, oh, these people will hate me if I ask for money. No, no. They can't bear the weight. They just cannot do it. So there's a need there that they cannot meet. So it's right 
For Joel to come to churches like ours and say, help me bear this burden. Because it's a burden for him. I get a chance as the regional leader in Sovereign Grace to visit churches. Can I just tell you, the finances of churches are a burden for these pastors. How do we afford this? How do we do that? How do we get by? Can we hire another person? Do we have to let someone go? And these guys live under the burden of this. A lot of time in trying to encourage guys is often related to finances. It's, it is that word. Burden, pressure, weight. And it's right that you and I feel that weight and lift that burden by our giving into that setting. All right, let me close with, with, with this thought for us. There's a lot that we do in the Christian life that sort of gaseous. It's kind of hard to grab it, package it, say how big it really is. You know, how, how kind are you? Well, there's no kind meter out there that I can attach to my head. And at the end of the day, you're 17. Oh, 17 and kind. I don't have that kind of stuff, right? But there are two elements of our lives that are very measurable. And we live by measuring them all the time. Time and money. They are what they are. They're numbers that just make a statement. No matter how we feel about them, they're just making a statement. And they can be extremely helpful diagnostic tools. Because we can say all kinds of things, but these numbers make a statement. And they make a statement that diagnoses us. They say something about us that we need to hear. The other day my wife went to get some blood work done. She's come to a season of life that has produced all kinds of health impacts on her that are unpredictable and curious. What is this? What am I turning into? Why am I feeling this way? So, definitely not feeling normal. I don't feel normal. I don't, I don't, I don't feel normal. Right? That's just a feeling. There's no numbers here. It's just a feeling. Then she goes getting blood work done, and the blood work comes back like, oh, here's why you feel this way. You got nothing in this category. You're bottomed out here. Your body stopped producing this. So, all of a sudden, there were objective numbers that were providing a diagnosis. You have issues here, here, and here. All right. At a, what time is it? About 10 minutes ago. 10 minutes ago, you received an up-to-date giving statement from Lakeview Christian Center by email. So that's awaiting you when you go home. Or if you're bored right now, you can go ahead and check it out now. <laughs> so every person who's a part of Lakeview you're going to get a giving statement. It's going to be an analysis of your blood work. It's going to be a number. It's going to be objective. No matter how you feel. It's going to question your sincerity. It's going to call into question your genuineness. Or it's going to highlight your genuineness and celebrate your sincerity. 
but it's going to be a sobering thing to look at after listening to this message. And so, yeah, I realize I added a little drama by saying, can you email that thing at 11.45? (laughs) And listen, I make no apology for this. No apology for this. Because if you're living as a Christian and you got no genuineness in categories that matter, if your money and your time don't show up in the kingdom of God. Can you imagine there? The kingdom of God has come and in some lives it appears it doesn't have the weight to displace anything in our lives. It's like a feather. Just comes our lives are full of stuff and people and pursuits and values and here comes the kingdom of God. And it just sits on the highest building 68 floors off the ground having very little impact. Really? That should scare you. That's not the kingdom of God. I don't know what it is, but it's not the kingdom of God. When the kingdom of God comes, it comes with weight. It will crush buildings and move them out of the way. It's powerful. So if the kingdom of God has come and it has not managed to touch your time, you can't, I don't know, we had a big series on prayer and I want to pray more and I want to pray more. I didn't see you in prayer this morning. You want to pray more, really? Men's prayer. Hey man, where were you? You just had a whole summer on messages on prayer. Thank you for all 15 of you who showed up on Friday to pray. Thank you for the 16 or 17 that were here this morning to pray. Listen, because why? Because I can't make time for that. So I got no prayer life and I don't have a giving life because I can't afford that. Listen, I don't know what's sitting on your life, but it's so light. You should question whatever it is. If the glorious God of creation can't come and touch your money and your time, you should wonder whether he's touched you at all. You shouldn't be carrying around some false sense of security. Because the real life dimensions of who we are, they're flowing out of our time and our money. You have well intentions, you have thoughts in all kinds of categories. Paul would say, I pray that you excel in this grace as well. Because it's going to say something to you about you. And you're going to need to reap from that in the days ahead. You're sowing to the Spirit. You will need to reap from that in the days ahead. If all you got is what's been sown to the flesh, you're going to be in desperate shape because you will, God will not be mocked. You will, from the flesh, reap corruption. And that corruption will come in all kinds of forms. Maybe it'll touch your money, maybe it won't. Maybe it'll ratchet up your anxiety and your fears like you can't imagine. But God will not be mocked. If you're here this morning and you're heavily invested in the right here and the right now, in the temporary and the things of the flesh, God will not be mocked. What he says is going to come to pass. And that's sobering. And that makes me not care whether you like in this moment or not. Listen, we are here as a church to build and advance the kingdom of God. That, that comes with bloodshed. It comes with sacrifice. It comes with reality in our lives. If we are in this church and we're unwilling to make room for the kingdom of God to find its place in our lives. Love you, but you're in the wrong church. So whatever you might be feeling this morning about, oh, I went to this church this morning, a dude talked about money. 
I, I can't make this heavy enough for you. Because if you don't seriously look at this area of your life, you're running the risk that you're faking this thing. And you have got God at such a distance that his burden and his issues don't seem to show up in real spaces in your life. You can't pray. You can't give. You should question how near God really is to you. Because these things should flow out of our hearts that have been won over by God. Somebody came along and deposited spiritual blessings in my life. I'm a future drug addict. That's who I was as a teenager. I watched that play out in my own family. I watched people die because they couldn't say no to their fleshly impulses. And God reaches in and says, no, I'm going to save you. Because somebody shared the gospel with me. You don't think I'm kind of into, hey, let's make sure we empower that to happen everywhere around the world. Because I know what happens if it doesn't show up. And you should know that too. Let's stand up together. Lord, how how we need to hear the full counsel of your word. God, ours is not going to make it with some devotional style Christian version of the kingdom of God. Just read a little verse every once in a while. God shall supply all my needs. Draw a little comfort for a life that's maybe got no rooting and no value in the kingdom of God, but I'm loving the idea that God's just going to show up in my need. God, we need the full counsel of God. We need to see that you have divinely connected what we sow and what we reap. You have connected the things of the spirit and the material things of our lives. They are related And they are hardwired into our hearts, Lord. Our hearts are what you're after. Unfortunately, there's a thousand things that the flesh is interested in that our hearts are also after. Well, my prayer is that you just win our hearts, Lord. And that you guard us from self-deception, that we could stare at a giving statement It's got nothing given. And then still be convinced that you have won our hearts. Lord, we need some helpful numbers sometimes to awaken us from what we've turned your kingdom into in our lives. God, we want you in a displacing way. We want you to come, Lord, and move things around. Have a real impact. God, we just don't want some Christianized version of what the world has. We go to church and we live for everything everybody else lives for. God, win our hearts. 
May the advance of the kingdom and the sharing of God's revolutionary word be something we're preoccupied with. We pray about it. We give to it. We look for it. God, win our hearts. God, make us to be a source for every time that there's a place like a Corinth out in the kingdom of God. We can say, hey, you come rob Lakeview Christian Center. You let us help with that. Because what God has done, what he's meant to us, is so rich. We want that for them, whether they got a nickel or not. So God, mess with our lives. Guard us from reaping corruption. We want the eternal life that you have offered to us. Send us from this room today, sowing to the kingdom for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Bless you guys.